All right, we continue our study in the Beatitudes, and uh, I want to begin by reading. So if you'll turn to Matthew 5, Matthew 5, and we'll read verses 1 through 10. Of course, the context here is the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount is one of the most um, amazing discourses uh, ever, and uh, a very profound discourse that our Lord Jesus gave Beginning in verse 1, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Father in heaven, we do come before your word and we want to bow down before you, acknowledging your supremacy, your sovereignty. We want to acknowledge that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And even as we read these beautiful beatitudes of which our Lord kicks off the Sermon on the Mount, um, we can see where we fall short in these things. And so, Lord, we pray that even tonight, as we consider the sixth beatitude, that it would be instructive for us, that we would be those that grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ and are more and more conformed into the image of Christ, and that we would give you the glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, in the Beatitudes, Jesus kicks off this long sermon, sort of setting forth the characteristics of members of the kingdom of heaven. That's the theme, the, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And he, we might think of that as the birthmarks of the true subjects of the kingdom. The sermon itself is very organized. Jesus never rambled on like some of us do, the teach. Um, it, it very, very structured, very, very organized, very, very purposeful with the themes that he is covering. And he chose this theme, the gospel of the kingdom. And throughout the discourse, it's mentioned again and again and again. In fact, I counted four or five times in chapter five and another three times throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. So might think of this as a Christian manifesto. Um, what does a Christian look like in the kingdom? And Jesus, of course, this is this Sermon on the Mount is very ethical, isn't it? I mean, he's reinterpreting the law. You've heard that it was said, thou shalt not murder. But I say to you, if you're angry with your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. And so in a sense, it's an ethical discourse and some that are outside of Christ have evaluated it as that, as this is an ethical discourse from a good moral teacher. Let's study this and analyze that. But I would submit to you that Jesus was far more than a moral teacher. Now, even though the, the sermon itself is ethical in nature, um, Jesus is going towards the heart. He wants our hearts. As it says in First Samuel 16, 
For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so even back uh, in the Old Testament, other religions deal with outward um, uh, appearances, outward worship, uh, and all of these types of things. But Jesus wants our heart. He zooms in to our heart. And this is very timely for us in Southern California because Southern Californians are very concerned with their outward appearance, aren't they? Um, just pick up a reader magazine. I, uh, it's been about a year since I've looked at one, but I, I get one about once a year. and I'm like, oh, what's the new, the new fads and what's most of the advertisements for in there? It's all like it's all it's all to fix the external, isn't yeah. it? It's I mean everything from implants, unplants, tucks, and this and that and the other thing. I mean. It's literally page after page. Revitalizing cream. All just everything's there, you know, and and uh, you know, and then also for some, you know, our workout routines, our diets, and all that. I mean, we work hard on our outward appearance, and on the one hand, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We should take care of them, but on the other hand, we can focus so much on the outward and ignore what's how are we really living? What's our relationship with God? Um, Hebrews twelve talks about without holiness what no one will see the lord right exactly and today we come to this beatitude blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see god and you know it's amazing how often pure in heart occurs throughout the bible we're going to look at some of those uh, verses but this is one that clearly says that without holiness you will not see the Lord. And so um, so we began uh, the first three, um, uh, poverty of spirit, mourning to be sorry for our sin, and, and meekness, humility, um, all speak to the condition of our heart if we're truly con- uh, converted. And blessed means what? Happy, happy, right? So, I mean, just insert happy are the poor in spirit for theirs is present tense the kingdom of heaven um it's the first and the last beatitude that's present tense uh, verse 10 we'll look at in a couple couple studies from now but uh theirs is the kingdom of heaven but the ones tucked in the middle are future tense they shall be comforted they shall inherit the earth um, and then the pure in heart they shall see god now, I think there's both an immediate and a future aspect to these things that in, in one sense, I mean, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy, that we've we received mercy even in, in this life too. And so, um, and then hungering and thirsting after righteousness we talked about and then being um, merciful. Mercy is given by God. He alone is the source of mercy. And mercy is the foundation of our forgiveness, that we have a standing before God. And then uh, these last three, the pure in heart, peacemaker, and suffering is what we're going to look at tonight and the coming weeks. So, blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Uh, What does it mean to be pure in heart? Purity of heart is commended by the psalmist in Psalm 73 and verse 1. A psalm that we I preached through and we studied as a church four or five months ago or so, maybe over the summer. 
But surely God is good to Israel and those who are pure in heart. I confess that I've I read that first part of the verse. I never really read the second, or I, I never paid close attention to that second part. But now I connect it here with this. And this beatitude is viewed by some as the highest pinnacle of all the beatitudes. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones would be one of them that said of this beatitude, is undoubtedly one of the greatest utterance to be found anywhere in the whole realm of Holy Scripture. Blessed, happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And um, I have to agree with Lloyd-Jones. It's one of the most profound verses. A man that is pure in heart is not motivated by self-love, self-exaltation, pride, the applause of men, people-pleasing, and all of that. But his motives are pure. As St. Augustine has said, a pure heart is an undivided heart. And how too often are we double-minded, as it says in James 1.8, or just divided with our allegiances? We have so many things that we're following after sometimes. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says, blessed are the pure in heart? What does he mean by heart there? Humble and not self-seeking. I mean, what does he mean by heart, though? Not, not. What does he spiritual. mean on the whole verse? A spiritual heart. Mm-hmm. What's that? Like your soul. Okay, you're on the right track. So he's not talking about that of which surgeons go in and do bypasses or, or you know, to you know adjust the beats and the rhythm. It's not talking about the physical organ, but talking about the innermost, um, the center of our personality our mind our will and our affections so it's talking about everything that makes you you pretty much and makes me me so you're on the right track there emily we know (coughs) that it does not mean our carnal nature can be eradicated so that we will never sin again and some actually take this verse those who teach perfectionism that you can reach this place in the Christian life where you never sin again. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I mean, on, on the one hand, the, the longer I'm in Christ, it's like, man, I wish that was true. <laughs> but it just, it just uh, does not. It, it's inconsistent with Scripture. The first, uh, first church I went to was a Nazarene church, mm. and the pastor sat me down and he said, uh, "One day you will be pure in heart." You will no longer sin. He actually used this verse. Yeah, he used this verse. How about that? And so you'll reach a place where you no longer sin. Did you quote in First John 1, 8, uh, right I back at him? You're green. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not within us. And so this is contrary to the scripture. Furthermore, look at the Bible. I mean, the Bible is an honest book about man, right? And the nature of man. You have the nature of God, you have the nature of man. And even those that would be elevated to the highest plateau, the patriarchs, Abraham, Moses, you know, the greats, you know, the ones that you tell Bible stories over and over in Sunday school and all of that, they were sinners of all people. They never reached this place. I mean, Noah, after the flood, he, you find him drunk. 
meaning Lot's another story, Abraham, the father of all who were in the faith, it says in Galatians, lied twice, you know, about his wife. You got Moses who disobeyed God and, you know, um, huh? And David, you've got David, of course, yeah. And then Job curses the day of his birth. Elijah, after such a great victory, you see him fleeing from wicked Jezebel. And you say, well, that was the Old Testament. But now in the New Testament, we got the spirit and we can arrive at a place of sinless perfection. Oh, yeah? Let's turn to Romans chapter 7 and see what the Apostle Paul has to say about this. That's what I was just thinking. You were, yeah. (laughs) That's right. Paul talks about all the sin in the church. Encouraging each other. Somebody can read verse 21 to 25. That would be great. And by the way, those who, I won't name names, but even in some mainline Protestant denominations will say, oh, but Romans 7 is before Paul was converted. Well, why does he care about his sin if he wasn't converted? Who's going to take it up and read? Okay, thank you. 21 to 25. 25. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Excellent. Thank you. And and I guess we could have read the full section, but for the sake of time, you know, we're going to read... Uh, All of that, but verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing is not. And so what he's communicating there is uh, the, um, what he's communicating there is that battle, right, of the flesh and the spirit and and the sinful nature that we still carry around. Um, You know, Romans 6 makes that clear as well that, you know, even though we're still, um, that's why we reckon the old man to be dead, it says in 611. And so, but, so Paul uh, even, you know, speaks clearly of this and many other examples could be given in the New Testament. And so all that to say, this verse is not teaching sinless perfection. Uh, one problem is that apart from God's grace, our hearts are corrupt. And so even when we are converted, when we're getting the heart, given the heart of flesh, the heart of stone is taken out of the way, we still have a sinful disposition. But Jesus, <coughs> I think, means by this pure in heart, a sincerity, a honesty, um, without perversion, without um, uh and then you can see, by the way, this is his classic way of, uh, back to Rome, or, uh, Matthew 5, this is his way of speaking out against the Pharisees. Even here, by the time this discourse is given, um, Jesus knows how the Pharisees are acting and how they're behaving, and he's speaking against them in several different places. <clears throat> um, the Pharisees were content with what? externals right i mean and they were good at it too right they were good at it the pharisee and the publican you know 
I'm glad I'm not like him. I fast twice a week. I give of all my tithes. And even in chapter 6, talking about prayer, Jesus says, you know, when you go out, do not go sound the trumpet in 6-2. And so the Pharisees were good at showing off their religion, um, but failing to see truly what a holy God wants. And David, in his beautiful prayer of confession in Psalm 51, says, you desire truth in the innermost being not just externals not like paint it on and dress it up and you know say some nice things but inwardly there's all this wickedness in your heart and foul thoughts and all of that kind of stuff in fact let's go to mark 7 for a moment Pharisees see the disciples eating bread with impure hands that is unwashed. Verse 3, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And when they go to the marketplace and etc. And then verse 5, the Pharisees and scribes ask him, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders? but eat bread within pure hands. And he says, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. And um, anyway, so there you have it. You know, the heart is far from God. And even the religious leaders in Isaiah's day, um, it states that. So Jesus pronounces a blessing here in the Beatitudes upon those whose outward manifestations and conduct of life match their heart and their heart's desire and their disposition towards wanting to glorify God. That fallen man is totally depraved and sinful. In fact, we are all sinners by nature and practice, and we will never be sinless until glory. Um, Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can know it? Um, Psalm 51 again, David says, I was brought forth in iniquity. So what is he talking about? He's talking about a new heart that's given it regeneration, which involves transformation of character, that there's a change in one's life and then an ongoing change, albeit sometimes slow, sometimes rapid growth, but it's a progressing and sanctification over the course of time. So this pureness of heart is spiritual in nature. It's a sincere desire to want to please God and to love him, to obey him. It's having undivided affections and emotions directed towards him, not being swayed one day to the next. The pure in heart shall see God, and that's the essence of this blessedness, 
The man whose delight is not truly in the things pertaining to God is unable to love God and um, his fellow man. So how can we be pure in heart if that's the case? What's one important key? I mean, there's lots of ways that we can be pure in heart, but one important key, if God has saved us, how can we cultivate this? It's not ignoring the Holy Spirit that's on the inside. Huh? Put away sin. Yes. Do you think you could say from that verse that um, a person is pure in heart, basically, he sees God, he sees the hand of God and everything around him too, it's God's sovereignty over everything, if trials come or even blessings come, if his desire is towards the Lord, he's truly seeking to please God, then he will see the things the circumstances around him and see things from a more of a kingdom perspective yeah that's that's a good aspect we're going to get to that in a minute but that yeah i think it's more than just oh there that's what god looks like or that's what christ looks like um <clears throat> it's seeing the kingdom in the in the context the of god, the like hand of everything. god so being pure in heart you can't be double-minded you can't be a hypocrite you want to always be evaluating your motives to make sure they're pure. Um, just like uh, training children, it's you know we could train Emily, sit up straight, extra all this externals, but never address her heart, and we're missing that. We know we need to shepherd the heart. A.W. Pink, and speaking of the the importance of the Holy Spirit, gives a fourfold operation in this. <clears throat> First, imparting a holy nature at the new birth. Second, bestowing saving faith, which unites us to Christ himself. Third, being cleansed by the blood of Christ purges our conscience. And fourth, the ongoing work of sanctification. And so the importance of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The psalmist says in Psalm 24, Who may ascend unto the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. So to what extent is the heart of a Christian made pure? <clears throat> We've already said it's not sinlessness, right? It, it's it's imperfect in this life. It's in part, as it were. Um, the work of grace will be perfected in us uh, in the life to come when we pass from this life. Just like Paul says, I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Paul talks in Romans 8 about waiting eagerly for our adoption of sons, the redemption of our body. And so you have this, this uh, it's sort of like justification, sanctification, glorif- glorification, right? We're saved, we're born again. Then there's this whole messy work of sanctification and slowly being made more and more like Christ. But there's but it's imperfect, and we long for that time when we'll be glorified and, and in his presence to know to sin no longer. There's some practical things we can do to purify our own hearts. What are some means that, that we have available to us as Christians? <clears throat> Confession and repentance. Confession and repentance, absolutely. Because that's going to purge out the yuck that's there, right? Ask God for help. 
Ask God for help, yeah. Reading the Word. Absolutely. And reading the Word and prayer is going to lead to the exposure of that sin that can then be repented of and, and that kind of thing. Accountability. Accountability. Sometimes we don't know our own. Sometimes somebody else points out our motives look a little suspect. It's good to have those kind of people around here sometimes. What about corporate worship? That's important too. Fleeing immorality, making sure that our worship is pure, like we heard um, Sunday in Pastor Steve's message. Turn to Acts 15. So this is the Council of Jerusalem in verse 7. There's lots of dialogue between various elders and apostles. After After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, and that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. So two things there, verse 8, God, of course, knows the heart. This is the context of Gentiles coming in, the earlier scene with Peter, Cornelius' house. But then also notice the present tense. It's not... um, having cleansed their hearts by faith, but it's cleansing. It's an ongoing process. And so to be pure in heart is an ongoing process as well in our sanctification. Uh, Paul in 1 Timothy 1, chapter verse 5, says, The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. So, the precious promise here, um, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Who in the Bible has desired to see God? Who has seen God? Moses, he saw his back. He saw his back, right? Yeah. Um, Isaiah saw a vision. That's right, yeah. Saw the seraphim, flame. Jesus' disciples, right? Like the one says, well, well, it talks about seeing God, and he says, how long have I been with you? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah right John 14, yeah. 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 yeah, if you've seen, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, John 14, yeah. And those manifestations in the Old Testament are angels of the Lord, which most likely is Christ. Um, but the Pharisees didn't even see God's <laughs> exactly right <laughs> even hearing the profound teaching coming from the lips of our savior they just could not um get it <clears throat> yeah moses asked to see god of course he only sees the backside um, we see him in the new covenant through the eyes of faith and on the pages of scripture and the beauty of this vision of god is a spiritual perception and delight in God and his attributes. 
But on earth, we have to admit, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For I know in part, but then I shall fully, I shall know fully just as I have been fully known. And so the characteristics of those who are pure in heart is there's going to be a genuine biblical love for God, for his worship. There's going to be a genuine concern for the brethren, a love towards brothers and sisters. They're going to hate pride and be marked by humility. They're going to be content with the Lord's lot, and as Mark said, even when suffering comes, to be content with that. Um, longing for the glory of God, Jesus prays in the high priestly prayer, John 17, 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. So what is he praying? He's praying that one of his Christ prayers and he's interceding this very prayer, but he, you know, this this particular prayer, the night before he was betrayed, that they may see his glory. Of course, John Owen's whole volume one, Glory of Christ, is based on this one verse, and it's an excellent read. So, consciously putting to death evil desires and wicked thoughts, thinking, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Philippians 4, 8, whatever is true, right, just, noble, dwell, meditate on those things. And of course, where do we see God? Mark already alluded to in the the workings of God um, in this creation, uh, in this world. I think in particular the church, I think by faith, even in the ordinances, when when you see someone uh, buried, and the waters of baptism, which we have a baptism in two weeks, yay. Um, when you see somebody buried in the waters of baptism and rising to newness of life, that's a picture of, right, just as Christ was dead and came to newness of life. And, and so, in a sense, you see, okay, this person is born again, just like Christ rose from the, the dead. And even in the, the Lord's Supper, you know, it's uh, not that the bread and the wine turn into his body and blood, Um, But there's a sense in which the spiritual presence of Christ is there with his church. uh, uh, And this one ordinance, both ordinances, but in that one ordinance that we are to do often in remembrance of him. And that's why neglecting the Lord's Supper is not good for our overall health. And if you can't see God, that's an indication that you haven't been born again. The natural man does not accept the things of God because they're spiritual spiritually appraised uh, it's a paraphrase of 1 Corinthians 2.14 so just like you can't see the stars and the moon when it's cloudy and overcast or foggy um, it doesn't mean that they're not there but the idea of they shall see God I think there's a, a presence because like we've already said we see him working and, you know, the advancement of the kingdom and the um, missionary endeavors that are thriving and all that. God is there. He's working. That doesn't happen. That's not man-made, you know, uh, or, you know, man's actions uh, alone. That's the blessing of God and his presence. 
and um, we see him on scripture and, and the word and, and the preached word and all of that. But there's also that future promise here where we will see him face to face. And um, 2 Corinthians 4.18, For while we look at the things which are seen, but the things which, sorry, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so the pure in heart are given a spiritual discernment. They're given spiritual eyesight. They're given special glasses, you know, like those uh, X-ray vision glasses in the sci-fi movies or whatever. They're given special glasses to be able to perceive things spiritually. And um, Paul praised that very thing for uh, the Ephesians. Um, when he says in chapter 1 of verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory and the inheritance of the saints. But again, we see dimly now. We see him through the eye of faith, and so we walk by faith, not by sight. So... Questions, comments on this? Did the person call her? <clears throat> Excuse me, I still haven't got my voice back. I just want to add it. If the person called, did he see God when he was three days in heaven? Or he had an experience in Does he say that he's seen God? I mean, he saw the bright light, but not, I mean, on the right Damascus road. Um, I don't know that it says that in 2 Corinthians 12. He says he heard and saw things that he's not able to repeat. So. Okay. Stephen, Stephen, what's his name? Stephen, Stephen the first oh, martyr, yeah, yeah. Saw, I saw the Lord Jesus. Right before he, right, yeah. right before he went to sleep. Yeah, right. So we should purge our hearts from anything that would divert us from being pure in heart. Uh, Psalm 16:11, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. If you find yourself lacking joy, ask yourself, is, is it my sin? It's, there's been a separation. Is it my disobedience? Um, or am I not really seeking the glory of Christ? Amen.